0: To walk in the truth podcast. How do we know where to find answers to the toughest questions in life? While the simplest answer is the Bible, where do we start this search and how do we discover this truth? Today, in this teaching podcast, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, takes a specific text of the Bible and helps us find truth for the life we're searching for. I'm so glad that you're with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, please take them and go directly to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 today. We're in our Dear God series, and that Dear God series deals with tough questions that the Bible answers that the world wonders about. What kind of questions uh, are you hearing today? What kind of questions you struggle to answer today? But the Bible gives us answers for every question, literally, that we can ever be asked. Today's question, a big one, what about transgenderism? What about transgenderism? Now, I have to tell you, when I first became a pastor, I never imagined one day I would preach a message about transgenderism. Truth is, when I became a pastor, nothing about transgenderism had ever been said or thought. But in recent years, everything has changed that we can possibly imagine. Today, I want to talk about the issue of transgenderism and just how, how we deal with that, how we answer that. What does the Bible say about that as well as other tough questions relating to that? So if you would, take your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter 3 and stand with me as I read this one verse from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Now, this verse is going to kind of guide our attitude today. Today is a very different kind of message and you know, because it's such a controversial thing outside the walls of the church, and sometimes even inside the walls of the church, sometimes it's controversial at workplaces and neighborhoods and friendships on college campuses, certainly, and in the elementary and in junior high and senior high schools, this is an issue that people are talking about today. So there are varieties of people here today with varieties of influence about this issue of transgenderism and So today I want to ask you, if you will just allow me the privilege of preaching this without you responding in any way. In other words, I don't want you to clap at any points that you think need to be clapped at. I don't want you to say amen too loud until we get to the fourth point. At the fourth point, I'm going to open the gates and say, please say amen from this point forward. (laughs) Because by then I'll be starved for some kind of feedback. But if somebody's struggling with the issue of transgenderism, I don't want them to think that they're in a room outnumbered by people who are somehow rallying against them personally. I think the church ought to approach these subjects with all kinds of sincerity and seriousness, with an abundance of compassion and love and gentleness and reverence and respect. It's such a big thing that we are lights in a very dark world, but how we shine that light has to be shown in love. So Paul is, I mean, Peter is writing to the church uh, in his day, a church under much persecution, a church that was much opposed by their values and by their convictions in a world that was not sympathetic to them at all. In fact, that world in Peter's day hated the church. And so what Peter writes in terms of their witness was this, verse 15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Now keep your eyes on that verse again because I'm going to read it again. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Let's pray that Christ will do that in our lives. Father, in Jesus' name today, I pray that you will give us clarity, conviction, and compassion as we approach this very controversial subject that affects so many different people. And Lord, today I pray that we might be lights in the dark world, but loving lights. And Father, I pray that we might walk away from here knowing what your word says about these kinds of things, and we ask this in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people says you can say amen, amen at that point. Thank you. Well, if I was to exegete 1 Peter 3.15, it would be three quick points. And those three quick points would be honor Christ, honor truth, honor people. I mean, that's what verse 15 says. Always sanctify Christ Jesus in your heart. Also, always being ready to make a defense or to give a reason for the hope that's inside of you when the world disagrees with you vehemently. And finally, with gentleness and reverence, so we want to honor Christ today. I want to honor Christ in my message. We want to honor truth today. We don't want to pull back, shirk back from telling the truth that the Word of God gives us. But we also want to honor people, not being disrespectful, not, not mocking in any way. But we want to be able to deal with three things today. That's my quest today, my, my goal. And I appreciate the way you're responding and we will respond during this message. You know, it's a new world that we live in today. I remember back in 2015 when uh, a magazine called Vanity Fair put Caitlyn Jenner's picture on the cover. Caitlyn Jenner, formerly Bruce Jenner, the world-acclaimed athlete. I was growing up when Bruce Jenner was winning gold medals every year at the Olympics. It seemed like the most amazing athletic man in the planet. And now he's called... Caitlin Jenner, and there's a picture of him with a bathing suit on the cover of the magazine, and obviously our world was shocked and stunned by that. In fact, most of the time when I heard about Caitlin Jenner, I wondered if it was a publicity stunt. A year later, I still wondered if it was a publicity stunt, but, but now we know, no, he really is a man who is transitioning into a woman, and that was his desire. It wasn't long after that, and in recent months, we've heard of a swimmer named Leah Thomas born biologically a male who swims for a college swim team and competes against biological women. Winning meets right and left. And, of course, the controversy that stirred up because of that. And the women, of course, who protest and say, I'm competing against a biological male. And all the surrounding publicity from that as well. You know, sometimes when you think about transgenderism and you see all the headlines and you Listen to all the noise that it makes. You wonder just how big it is. In fact, if we took a poll in the room, most of us would say that more than 10% of Americans deal with transgenderism themselves, or they struggle with the issue of transgenderism. But the reality is only a few people deal with this issue of transgenderism. In fact... A recent UCLA think tank study concluded that 1.6 million adults in America identify as non-binary or transgender. In other words, they don't believe that they're male, they don't believe that they're female, they're somewhere on that spectrum or they're trying to fully transgender into the opposite sex that they were born into. Roughly, that's four-tenths of 1% of America identify in this way. If you translate that to where we live today, the Dallas Morning News estimates 92,000 transgendered individuals in Texas, and just statistically that says about 20,000 in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So if there are 20,000 transgendered people in the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex area, that means that they're coming soon if they're not already there in your schools, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, and wherever you might hang out. Transgenderism is here, and we need to know some things about it. We're going to ask questions like, what do we need to know? And what is the truth about sex and gender? Or what is transgenderism? Let's identify it completely so that we can understand. And how do we converse with transgendered individuals? And even more important than all that, how do we share the hope of Christ with a world that is not sure where they are on a certain gender spectrum or where they are in regard to God and themselves. We need to be able to share the hope that the Bible gives us. So I'm going to answer four questions today, and uh, those four questions are going to find answers in the Scripture and will help us walk through this whole subject of transgenderism. First of all, I want you to see what the Scripture does say about us as people in general, all people everywhere. The Bible points out that we are individuals that are created by God in his image Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 we always ought to start at the beginning God created man in his own image the bible says in the image of God he created him male and female he created them i call this part one of the grand design you and i and all human beings are made in god's image and and really the essence of that is we're not expendable we're not throwaways we're not animals we're human. We're born in God's image. We're created that way so that we can know God and we have unique characteristics about every single one of us. What that says to you and me is that, that we need to love every human being. We need to respect and honor each other because we're all created in the image of Almighty God. That's part of our identity. Every human being shares this with one another. Because of that, we also understand that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139 tells us that we're not just biological products. We are really made in God's image, and God has worked in a powerful way to bring us here. But the image idea also says something else it says that as humans, we're not limited to ourselves. Our our plans should not be limited to ourselves, our solutions to problems should not be limited to ourselves. We're not merely biological people. We're also spiritual people. We have a soul. And the idea that we can be made in the image of God also means that we can hear from God. We can learn from God. We can understand things about how God created us that the other animal world does not understand, so we are created in the image of God. However, when we disregard the God factor, we are limited, we're misdirected in how we deal with Desires and feelings, and the need for affirmation, which every person has. So, first of all, you're created in God's image. Aren't you glad about that? And as such, we have access to God, and God speaks to us if we will listen. Then, secondly, I want you to notice what Scripture says about gender. The Bible says in chapter 2 of Genesis, but for Adam, there was not a helper suitable for him, and the Lord fashioned into a woman. The rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is part two of the grand design. Not only are we created in God's image, but this part of the grand design says we're created either male or female. And we are designed to complement each other and to reproduce together. That's how you got here the male and the female part of God's creative ability. That's true of every part of the human world. It's true of every part of the animal world as well. You know, I marvel at God's powerful, creative processes when it comes to all of nature. I just love to watch uh, television programs and, and, and see research on animals and, and their, their habitats and how they reproduce and the reality of, of how they continue to spread over these many, many years. I marvel that God had a, a great design in mind for every bird, for every, every animal, for every fish in the sea. He's got this grand design, but the grandest design he has is for you and me as human beings. That we are designed by God with this grand plan that he has for us, And we are designed to be either male or female. Again, Psalm 139. The psalmist talks about the reality that that God wove us in the inward part of the womb. You're not an accident of birth. You're not the result of just a biological process. You are really part of God's divine plan, and you're here for a purpose, and you're here for a reason, and you should never, ever forget that. Designed with God's image in mind, designed as male or female, and God has the ability to help us walk through that process and live that process out in a healthy, purposeful way. You need to keep that in mind no matter how confusing the world is or how confusing feelings might be sometimes. For 6,000 years, those two facts that I've shared with you today about what God's Word says about us as people and what it says about gender has been the norm. We've operated this way for 6,000 years. And as Something that we call nature, something that we call truth, something that we call obvious revelations from God has been something that we've relied on. But in the last 100 years, we've had a wave of relativism that has moved across our world and certainly across America. Relativism is this. Relativism is a way of looking at life that says how I feel or what I think about something is weightier than any absolute truth that's been set before my time. In other words, my opinion carries more weight than any other opinion, any other tradition, any other truth. And as such, I will neglect those hard, solid, natural kind of things, and I'll elevate my thoughts and my feelings about a matter. And that belief system has really caused us to think about life differently. It values feelings and it desires stunningly more than science or biology or facts or nature or truth. And what it does is it renders a culture and renders an individual in that culture absolutely without foundation and without solid ground. You know, if you have a house and it has a poor foundation, you need to get out as soon as possible so that you can repair the foundation or else the house will not stand. I remember a few years ago, my wife and I had a very small little lake house out in East Tennessee, or East Texas, rather. And um, I remember one day we had this dock that went out from the house out into about 60 uh, 60 feet, 70 feet out into the water. It's a great place to walk out on, fish a little bit, or just sit on the end of that dock. One day, floodwaters came, and, and when we got to the lake house on that particular weekend, that dock had been upset in an awful way. Instead of straight and solid, it had been twisted and turned in such a way by the floodwaters where they had uproot the beams that were actually placed into the uh, bottom of that pond. It was unusable. It was unwalkable. And it was kind of frightening to look at how something that had been solid now was not something that you would walk on. And I had to dismantle that board for board. I took 1,800 boards off of that frame of that formerly solid dock. I'll never forget, it was one of my greatest memories of being in that lake house because as I was dismantling that wood in water moccasin-infected waters, my sweet wife was standing on the shore with a gun ready to shoot any snakes that came at me. <laughs> Some people that know my wife said, I can't imagine that, but I mean, she's good with the gun. I did have to say, look, you do know the difference between a snake and your husband, right? I just want to make sure that I survive this. Bottom line is, if you don't have foundations, you can't stand. If you don't have foundations, you're rocked to and fro, and you're not really sure whether you can put your weight on something or not, but that's what relativism has happened to us in this world, and that's the feeling of it. So, in our world that we have today, with relativism and with the idea that the individual can think of truths that are more important than absolute truths given to us by our Creator, then we've even had a new terminology i want going to give you some new terms today to define what's going on with this, this uh, transgender movement just so that we can make sure we understand the words that I use in just a few minutes. First of all, the word sex in relationship to the physical differences. Sex means male or female with reference to chromosomes, internal reproductive anatomy, and external genitals. That's an acceptable term or definition for the word sex in terms of physical differences. When we use the word gender identity, it means a person's self-perception of whether they are male or female, masculine or feminine, regardless of how they were born. And gender dysphoria, a very common term today, is a sense of mismatch between physical sex, that is our body, and psychological gender identity, which is our mind. Now, this word identity has begun to creep up quite a bit. I was born male, someone might say, but I identify as something other than male. And what's been created is a gender identity scale from male to female, many stops in between, some of them very, very difficult to define, some of them almost unimaginable. But all this suggests very clearly that there's a confusion and a struggle between what we think and how we feel about our bodies. Now, this is not unusual in life. I remember growing up, it was very a very real part of growing up. Boys would sometimes be threatened by certain characteristics in their life that made them worry, am I masculine enough? And girls were threatened by other characteristics, and they wondered am I feminine enough? For example, a boy might feel out of place because he loves art or music uh, or computers instead of fishing, or hunting, or other kinds of sports. And in our prevailing culture today, someone that might wonder a little bit about that 20, 30 years ago, but quickly grow out of that, is caused to question, am I something other than what I was born as? If a boy likes something more creative than hard-sell football, then he can actually begin to wonder, should I have been a woman because of the prevailing culture, because of social media and everything else? I remember a few years ago, I, had a, I have a son, an oldest son, and, uh, and Caleb is a, he's a computer genius. And he didn't like football, he didn't like baseball, and I remember having those conversations when he was 12 and 13 and 14 years of, of age, and he was just getting into the computer, and I thought, man, he'll never make it in life. Those computers are absolutely worthless. <laughs> Sometime after that, I saw a magazine article, and the title of the article was, Geek Shall Inherit the Earth. And now my son is a computer expert doing quite well in this world, better than I'll ever do, and in no way threatens his masculinity. Boys sometimes wonder when they have other interests other than what culture says they ought to have. Or a girl might feel somewhat masculine because she competes in sports or likes guns or likes hunting or something else. And the reality is if you're a girl that likes guns and sports and fishing you're just awesome. That's all that means. You're just an awesome girl. You're incredible. What I'm saying is that culture can sometimes plant seeds of doubt and minds that literally shouldn't be there. You may not fit a cultural definition of masculinity or femininity. It just means you have a bigger interest spectrum. It doesn't mean you're somewhere else on the gender spectrum. Uh, if If you're a parent today in the room and you have children that are kind of wondering where they fit in this world, then please help them understand if they were born a boy, no matter what their interests are, no matter how creativity, how much creativity is going on in their minds, no matter what their interests are, they were born a boy for a reason. And God can use them with their interest in the way he desires to use them. And the same way for a girl... If you have a girl and she's wondering about whether she's too masculine or is she feminine enough, it's so helpful to have those conversations that says you have a big interest spectrum. It's not a gender spectrum problem that you face today. It's really, really important for us to understand the impact of culture on our minds. Uh, In 1918, the Ladies Home Journal, I, I, I heard about an article. Josh Howerton actually mentioned this as one of his messages in 1918, the Ladies Home Journal was promoting the color pink for men, saying that men should wear pink, and they should identify very well with the pink color because it's, it's a derivative of red, it's powerful, and it's strong. Men should wear pink. And, and girls should wear blue because it's softer. It has more colors on the palette, and uh, it just fits a girl more. 1918, I read that, and I thought, gee, I hope nobody expects me to paint my blue truck pink because it's not going to happen. <laughs> Culture changes, society changes, tastes change, and we're in a season of change. We're in a season of change where culture wants to speak to us in so many different ways, and it can be a war inside of the minds of individuals. Let me just tell you, we all know what it's like to be in war in our mind in our body. We've all experienced some aspect of this war between our minds and our body, and uh, we can, ought to be able to have compassion on someone that goes through those battles of some kind. If you're really honest, sometimes your mind says one thing and your body says something entirely different. There's no doubt that as believers, we are to have a mind that's set and focused on Christ, but sometimes our bodies are tempted to do things other than what Christ calls us to do. And that's why the book of Romans is so powerful for us. Paul, in the book of Romans chapter 7, verse 22, said this. He said, For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. Paul said there's a war going on, and it was in the mind and in the body of the apostle Paul. It didn't deal with sexual and transgenderism, but it did deal with temptation to sin. And he says, I know about that war. I know about that battle. Every believer in this room knows about that battle, and it should be helpful for you to know about that battle because that's where people are in general today. It's a part of life that I think I ought to do this, but my body says I want to do something different. Then there's the term transgender. It's an umbrella term for many experiences of gender identity that do not align normatively with a person's biological sex. And that's where that spectrum, that gender spectrum, comes in. To give it a little bit more definition, gender dysphoria is a sense of mismatch. It often is described as a dissatisfaction with how things are, and an uneasiness or unhappiness with gender. Internally, one side is pulling the other side like a tug of war. And when that battle is happening, answers are sought. People reach out. They look for something. They read something. They're trying to find out, how can I reconcile this battle inside my mind, in my body? I have to find peace. So how are people supposed to find peace and deal with this very real battle? And how do we in the church and how do we as parents handle these kinds of questions? It's important that we get our answers from the Word of God and not from the world. I promise you today that if you look outside the Scripture and outside truth, you'll be told to do this and that if your child begins to question where they are gender-wise or if you begin to think thoughts like that or people around you. Often parents are told, we cannot address this at all. Or it leads children to even deeper depression and possibly even thoughts of suicide. And we'd be held responsible if we even bring it up or in any way suggest a different alternative. In fact, in one article, the statement was made very clear that the choices are are put in front of a parent. Do you want a dead son or a living daughter when it comes to their thinking about decisions to transition? One young person named Colby in England who transitioned fully from male to female, and now is attempting to transition back, was told by older transgenders to play the suicide card so you can get treatments and surgery. And he did that to his great regret. And now his testimony, his story is, I can't ever become what I was designed to be because I made those very early decisions by pressure from the outside instead of waiting through and thinking through the implications. Now, I have to be honest with you, transgenderism and those that deal with that do have higher rates of mental health issues, higher rates of suicide thoughts, and higher rates of depression. But those continue on even after they fully transition to whatever desired gender they want to be. However, disagreement with the choices they're making are not the primary reasons that children or young people think suicidal thoughts. They're already present It's important for them to have the truth. And it's important for them to have compassion. What they really want is to be accepted. What they really want is to know where they fit. And it's what's really important for us as people in the church of Jesus Christ is to know how to lovingly put our arms around someone and say, hey, I love you. I know you struggle. I know these things are going on inside of you, but we love you with the love of Christ in an unconditional way. The third point is this. Does the scripture address gender dysphoria? which is what we've been talking about. And I have to tell you right now, the cultural activists are going to say very quickly, no, the Bible doesn't deal with the complex issues of today's society. It's an archaic book. It was written all those years ago. It doesn't say anything about these issues and they would be wrong. The answer is, yes, Scripture does address gender dysphoria. But before I tell you what the Bible says, let me tell you, what the world is saying. Because I want you to see what people are hearing before they hear the truth of Scripture. Culture is talking about this disconnect. It's writing about this disconnect. There are whole podcasts and television shows. There's medias behind this 100% trying to help those that are in the middle of the war but with their answers disconnected from God. Now, here's the summary of it. When mind and body are out of alignment, the world says, listen to your mind and change your body. That's what the world is saying. Listen to your mind and change your body. It's born out of the live your truth mindset. It says that what we feel and what we want is the only reality that you need to deal with. But let me ask you to think through this with me for just a second. Isn't this the most difficult way imaginable to deal with the disconnect between mind and body? If my mind and my body are disconnected, then don't change your mind, change your body. Hormone therapies, surgery, irreversible changes in the body just to bring alignment. And is this the right thing to do? One analogy of this disconnect that I found in my study is the struggle of anorexia. Most of us know something about anorexia. It's a very similar disconnect between mind and body. The anorexic person thinks that they are obese or overweight, They believe that they should not be eating meals, and when they do eat them, sometimes they purge and they uh, vomit the meals up because they don't want to add unnecessary weight to their body. In short, they could look in the mirror, weigh 100 pounds, and feel like they're grossly overweight, a disconnect between mind and body. Are we then to go to that person and say, you know, you're probably right. You probably are obese. You probably do need to be on diet pills. You probably do need to not eat anything else. In fact, to say something like that to an obviously disconnected picture would be a crime. Can you imagine a doctor giving that kind of advice to someone dealing with anorexia? And the interesting thing about anorexia, the same side effects as those with transgenderism is happening. And that is the resistance of any treatment at all or any disagreement with what they're thinking through, depression, suicidal thoughts, all the same. And I have to say, with anorexia, only truth can help a person. Only truth can help a person. But when it comes to sex and gender, we're not allowed to say the truth sometimes. Or at least culture pushes back very, very stiffly. So is it working? Is it? It's the answer the world gives to those that are in a disconnect in their mind and body. Is it working? Well, some studies show this, that 88% of individuals struggling with some form of transgenderism will grow beyond their feelings and confusion if they do not have radical treatment. In other words, give them time to grapple with what they're feeling. Give them time to think through all the implications of any decisions they're about to make. And in time, they will come fully adjusted to what's going on in their minds and be able to remain in the state that they were created. That's a pretty important statistic right there, 88%. And as the years pass, an increasing number of people are wanting out after transitioning to another gender. One very uh, famous influencer named Ollie London, I've been watching his story for a couple of years, uh, he was a young man raised in England who had a particular affection for the Korean people. And so his first action as a result of dissatisfaction in his own life was that he wanted to look more like a Korean person. So he had surgery in order to cause his eyes and his facial structure to look more like a Korean. Well, he does look Asian or Korean. And He said after a period of years like that and after going to Korea and spending some time, he realized that's not the answer to my dissatisfaction. So his next response was, I need to become a woman. And so he had the the surgery that allowed him to transition into being a woman. After a few years of that radical surgery and that different lifestyle, he again came to the conclusion, this is not what's bringing satisfaction to my life. I'm not happy now either. And now he's attempting to transition back, of course, realizing he cannot fully transition back to the male that he was when he was born. But... Got a good ending to it because Ollie London says, I did find Christ, and in finding Christ, I did find where that missing piece was, and I am satisfied in Jesus Christ. Well, that's a good word, isn't it? Because we're made in the image of God. It's not going to be just a biological answer. It's not going to be just a physical answer. There's going to be a spiritual answer to that. If you go and search on the Internet today, you'll see dozens and dozens of articles and links regarding detransitioning more and more people having come through the transitioning process are attempting to get back on the other side. So the world's perspective is when your mind and your body are disconnected, change your body. Would you like to hear what the Bible says about that? The Bible says, when the mind and body are out of alignment, accept your body and renew your mind. Renew your mind. Now, that seems like an answer that can work for all of us. One of the great passages in the Bible, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, talks about the renewing of our minds. And I don't know how often I use this text to help me through tough times when I was growing in my faith in Jesus Christ. It says this, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. In other words, surrender your body to God. Don't take it into your own hands in terms of changing things. Surrender it to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then it says, and do not be conformed to this world or the way the world thinks, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that which is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In other words, if you want to walk by God's will, if you want to find that alignment with God, it's important that your mind is transformed. When mind and body are out of alignment, accept your body and renew your mind. Now, that's what the Bible says is the way our mind and our lives are changed on anything. It's our creator's way of getting back to the grand design. It's the message of biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is so very important by the way. There are some professing Christians and some denominations that have moved away from biblical Christianity. And I would characterize their belief systems as not Jesus plus the scripture but Jesus minus the scripture. In other words, I want Jesus to be a part of my life. I want him to somehow affirm the changes I'm making in my life. But I don't really want to talk about the scriptures that Jesus spoke or the scriptures that we learn about Jesus from. So it's a departure from biblical Christianity. I think I need to address this today because so many churches and some denominations have moved completely away from a biblical understanding of gender or sexuality in general. So when you uh, reject biblical Christianity, you no longer honor Christ or his word, but you take the human path to giving in to thoughts and feelings and desire into what culture says. You move away from clear scriptural truths and foundations to doubts and second guesses and heretical teachings. That's not true Christianity. But it's not really what Jesus called us to at all. In fact, it's completely redefined Religion. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. He said about these kinds of people, they hold to a form of godliness, although they deny the power thereof. They try to find a little affirmation there, but they don't find any transformation. So I told you I was telling you what the Bible says about gender dysphoria. What culture calls dysphoria, the Bible calls, are you ready for it? Deception. They both mean confusion. They both allude to the idea that someone has been seduced to wander from what's solid and what's true. And out of their confusion, are making decisions that they should not make, do not understand how it will affect them. Deception has a real to it. Almost always, the one being deceived doesn't know they're deceived. The one being deceived Believes they're going in the right direction. It requires someone or something on the outside to say, can you stop for just a moment and think about where you're going? That's the only way a deceived person can ever turn back to moving in the direction of the truth. So let me give you some verses very quickly that deal with sexual dysphoria, gender dysphoria. One of them is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. There's that word. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. For out of these 11 words allude to lifestyles that deal with sexual or gender issues. Romans 1 24 and 25 refer to those who worship and serve the creature instead of the creator. And literally, explicitly talk about giving themselves over to sexual practices contrary to what God has called them to. And so they're worshiping their bodies instead of worshiping the one that created the body. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, there's the admonition in Israel that a man should not dress as a woman, that there should be no confusion there between the male or the characteristics of a man and the female and the characteristics of a woman. So, there are verses all through the Bible. It would take us quite a while to walk through those, but the Bible tells us that those lifestyles we're talking about are rejection of God's grand design. Nowhere in the Bible does Scripture say that God would bless such a transition, such a decision to move away from God's design to something else. And in doing so, people miss the purpose of God for their life and the point that God has for them. And for the believer, these lifestyles are not to be affirmed, but to be transformed in our lives. To act to the grand design. And now we get to point four. How do we realize our highest purpose? How do we get back to that grand design? How do I resolve the war inside? How do I align my mind and body? And there's only one answer to that, and that is to come back to the grand design and the grand designer. Now, this is where you can start clapping and saying amen when you want to. Because at the end of that very difficult passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, there is verse 11, which says, Such were some of you, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. I hope you can sense the love in this passage for all people everywhere. Because what's happening is Paul is saying, look what God has for you in Corinth and look what God has for you in the world. No matter what lifestyle you were in, no matter what life you were living, no matter what disconnect you had in your life, God draws you to himself and you have become washed and you've become sanctified and you've become justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus said, I'll put my stamp on your life as I draw you to me and transform you from the inside out. All that to say is there is an answer to all of this confusion and that answer is found in your creator and in Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen to that because that's true. And that's available for everyone. By the way, this is not physical therapy. It's spiritual therapy. It leads us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and to aspire to the design that he has for us. And I want to say to you, we'll only be happy when we're functioning as the creator designed us to create. And there's not just a few people that would testify to that truth but millions and millions and millions of people testify to that truth not a pers- no just a, a fraction of one percent but but many 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 people across this world hundreds and thousands and millions of people can affirm that truth that we have a God that has answers and a God that calls us to himself and yeah, I thought about this the other day I had a close friend that adopted a little girl from a third world country I remember them telling me about the process of adoption They knew for many months, almost a year or more, that they were going to adopt this little girl and in the process of preparing to go there to pick her up, they were trying to anticipate what it would be like. When they got to the orphanage, they realized that their little girl was there in a room full of of, of all kinds of children, all ages. And their little girl was about three years old, I think it was. And she was dirty and filthy and it looked like the kids were kind of underfed and they realized they were on a rescue mission. And when they presented their papers to the person at the door, the person looked and found their little daughter and missed that crowd, took her aside, gave her a bath in another room, gave her some new clothing, and then came out and gave her to this adoptive mom and dad. And this adoptive mom and dad with their papers put a brand new name on this little girl. I know this little girl. I've seen her around in recent years. She's a beautiful little girl. God has done so much in her life as a result of that adoption process. But when I look at the word washed and sanctified and justified, I think back to that. And I think back to the fact that our Heavenly Father sees you no matter who you are, no matter what's in your life, no matter what your background is, no matter how deep into a movement or not you are, and He sees you and He washes you, and he sanctifies you, chooses you to be his own, and he justifies you and puts his name on you as his. What an incredible invitation for people anywhere struggling with anything. And I want that to be our message. That's what the Bible's message is to those that struggle with transgenderism or anything else, that calling them to their grand design that God has for them is the greatest possible thing we can do. You know, one of the questions that people ask when it comes to this subject is, how do you communicate with a transgender person? Because we're getting into the practicality of it these days. With chosen pronouns and different pronouns placed on Twitter feeds and other places, how do we respond to that? And the simplest way I can answer that question is this. Don't let pronouns be the issue. I've learned that we rarely use pronouns in personal conversation with someone. I almost never... When I'm talking with Joe, who might be right in front of me, use any pronoun at all. It's always Joe or you. Honor their name, whatever their name happens to be. If they change their name to something else, then use the name that they've asked to be called. If it's Joe Bob, call them Joe Bob. Honor the name. Honor the truth at the same time. And honor Christ and honor the people. Don't let it be the thing that keeps you from helping them know there's a greater purpose for their lives. The conversation, if you are asked, and however you are able to have that conversation, is that you love them and you want for them the highest possible purpose and the highest possible design for their life, and the only way they'll find that is with the Creator who created them. Keep offering them hope. Keep pointing them to truth. Honor Christ. Honor truth. Honor people. We prepared a QR code for you today because some of these conversations that we need to have that you may want details about are requiring more time than we have this morning. Maybe you want to lift your camera up, your phone and your camera and, and capture this. And this is the website with all kinds of resources for parents or for grandparents, for people that may be struggling with transgender issues in their life or those who want to know how to interact with them in some way. But look at these resources and and watch God use you in an increasingly confused world as someone who knows the truth. I want to say to you this morning, if you struggle with any of these things that we've talked about today in the sense of your own identity or how you identify, I am so glad you're in this room today. I want you to know you're welcome here. I want you to know that's important that you are loved and that you know that you're loved. It's important for you to also understand that when people disagree about one aspect or another, that doesn't mean that we don't love one another. We all disagree about some things in life, don't we? But we also all can love one another. It's important for you to leave today knowing this, that God has the best possible plan for your life. More than any any activist, more than any doctor, more than any peer, God has the best, highest purpose for your life. Please listen to what he says and trust him with your life. He brought you here. He has a plan for you after this life. Trust him into that moment. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a few moments. So many more things I want to say, but our time is gone today. I want you to know today we have three invitations. Number one, we invite you to go to our decision stations this morning. There will be people there that will talk to you about giving your life to Jesus answering perhaps questions that you may have that you want to ask. But we would love to have that conversation with you in life. Secondly, I want to invite you to our guest reception room. I would love to personally meet you myself. I would love to say hello and shake your hand and tell you more about what God is doing here at our church. Thirdly, I want to invite you to reach out to someone else and bring them with you next week. Such a celebration is going to be happening next week that I don't want you to miss it. Let's stand together as we have a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I am so very grateful for the scriptures that give us truth to walk by. Grateful so much, Father, that you've called us to walk in love and in compassion and in mercy. Grateful, Father, that there's not a one of us that is beyond the reach of your hand. And Father, today I pray that those who desire to know you, to, who desire to walk in your powerful, grand design for their lives, Give them the courage to surrender to your design and to follow you. And then give them the fruit of that joy and that peace and that purpose that comes into their lives that can only be there by you. Father, thank you for calling us something something greater than ourselves, something that's greater than this world can aspire for us to have, something that aspires to your goal for our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.